out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as always i'm joined by julian darius julian how are you doing you okay i'm fine everything's great here in that bird <laughs> i yeah i'm sorry but this no it won't actually i was gonna say apologies there will be a, a bunch of duck puns in this um uh but there won't be because this is probably the weakest part of this film we're going to talk about. Uh, today's film we're talking about is 1986's Howard the Duck, starring, and we're putting at the top, Ed Gale uh, as, mm. as Howard the Duck, uh, Leah Thompson, Jeffrey Jones, Tim Robbins, I think are sort of the, the main headers of this film. The film mm-hmm. consists of uh, Howard the Duck being pulled to Earth due to a, a misfiring uh, laser experiment in space, having to deal with the trials and tribulations of landing on earth and living with um beverly and trying to get home and then fighting with interstellar overlords um we'll get into lovecraftian aliens yes yeah well i'm gonna sort of get into a couple of things with this because yes lovecraftian but also if you've read the invisibles um Mm. i'm not entirely sure that grant morrison (laughs) hadn't watched uh, I hadn't watched Howard the Duck. Um, didn't make that connection until I watched it this time, but uh, yeah, worth noting. Um, but let's start. We are going to talk about Howard the Duck. So first and foremost, obviously, just just the first point, this is obviously based on the um, Steve Gerber um, uh, series from the 70s. Howard is... Uh, I'm assuming you've read the original comics mm. first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So... I want to keep that in mind because I have this sort of thing. This film flopped. This film was, and yes. it's, it's regarded as sort of. I, I I went online and I was offered. I saw people were like, you know, how is it that the first Marvel film is the worst Marvel film? And I'm like, really? Well, it was hated. It's yeah. kind of established a little bit of a cult following, but no, it was hated. And it was a big flop, and it is still regarded as terrible. Right, and this is what I want, this is where I'm going to get. This is going to be one of those weird ones. I don't know where you're you're standing on this. We'll see. Watching it, I I've enjoyed this film since I was a kid. I've always kind of enjoyed this film. I think it's gone sort of like chucklesome. But watching it this time, I was like comparing this to some of the stuff that's that's coming out today. I sometimes I think I prefer this, and this might just be my age and the nostalgia, but I prefer this to some of the. Put it this way: I watched Black Adam recently. All right, mm-hmm. I prefer Howard the Duck to Black Adam any day of the week. Um, and so, but yeah, so first of all, let's jump into it. So, what are your thoughts on, on okay, Howard so the first Duck? First of all, <clears throat> I, I actually agree with you. I'm, I'm going to just go through and say, I think objectively, I know I always get mad for saying this, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I'm sort of putting it in quotes this time because I think it did. Um, 
you know, this is clearly a better film than Thor and Thor 2, okay? <laughs> this is probably a better film than Iron Man 2. Um, you know, uh, I argue, we could argue about Iron Man 3, but certainly Thor 2. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, we could argue Guardians of the Galaxy. I would argue certainly a better film than Age of Ultron. Um, you know, we can argue about uh, some others, but, you know, uh, certainly those those bad ones, the Thor ones, the one and two. And, I mean, this is better than, I would say, my average uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie hmm. uh, for me. Um, now, some of that might be nostalgia. I will say <laughs> this movie does have problems. It's, <laughs> yeah. Its number one problem is that it can't go R-rated, right? Its number one problem is that it it has to... I mean, it's like really... Howard the Duck should almost be like Deadpool, right? Yes. You remember how like they got Deadpool wrong in the uh, illustrious movie X-Men Origins colon Wolverine? Yeah. Um, and, and it was not a two-hour colonoscopy of Wolverine for some reason, which I was very confused <laughs> by. But, you know, it had uh, Deadpool in it. And, you know, it was panned, and then they did Deadpool right, quote-unquote, right? I mean, I think a Howard the Duck movie should lean more in that direction. Howard should be more disgusting than he is. More of, you know, there's a reason he's reading Play Duck on his planet, right? Uh, the Gerber Howard the Duck. Gerber was being reined in by Marv, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, the Gerber Howard the Duck is much more of an adult fair. Um, and not a great guy, you know. No. Uh, willing to save the day at the end, but, you know, as a, as a sexist, drinking, you know, uh, you know, potentially drugging kind of guy. Um, he's a slimeball. Yeah. And this movie is charming, but I do think it has a total problem of not being able to get that exactly right. But you can't exactly blame them for not doing that in 1984. Well, this is the thing. I think watching this, it, you know, one of the things that strikes me in this is this film is tonally confused. 1986. Because it, 1986, yeah, because it, it tonally confused because... It's clear that there's moments where they've gone like, oh, this is a kiddie film. We're going to have an all-girl sort of like punk rock band. You know, we're going to have this, we're going to have that. And it's clearly sort of aiming for that younger audience. And then it has him work at like a sauna brothel, like it makes. And then it has like almost sort of has like bestiality and sort of like it keeps having these sort of like it keeps sort of veering towards like raunch comedy or something. And I'm going like, Oh cool. And then it stops and you're like, huh. <laughs> um, and there are other moments, even the, the, the end with Jeffrey Jones mm. starts to be when Jeffrey Jones becomes um, possessed by the things that the, this overlord, it very much, um, it keeps leaning towards going, Oh, we're going to do something like, weird and horror-esque and gross mm. and then and then sort of just pulls back again a little bit and i'm like yeah if this had been if, if this had been let loose like, as a really weird film i think it would you, you're right it would be more successful um but i definitely well, enjoy, I enjoy it does that. have that that tentacle tom you know yeah um, <laughs> yeah you know yeah that wasn't a special I mean, effect that's that's all uh real 
yeah, you know, um, and 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 he's a brilliant actor. I mean, we we have to say, um, and I think you're right about everything you're saying. There is definitely a sort of national lampoon, Animal House kind of vibe here, mm. and people forget like how dirty like the original National Lampoon's Vacation is. Um, you know, there was a room for adult comedy. I mean, not mm -hmm. just like I mean, Revenge of the Nerds. There was a whole, this was a thing in the 80s, and we really don't have it anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. what we have is like American Pie, which is like, uh -huh, you know, some kind of like sanitized kind of, you know, hangover kind of thing. And those movies are fine for what they are, but but there isn't this sort of, they don't feel dirty. Yeah, They might feel like kind of sexy, but they don't feel dirty the way those 80s. Porkies. Yeah, yeah, porkies for God's sake, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, kids watch these movies. I watched those movies yeah. as a kid. I mean, you know, they were not exactly hidden from us. And this is clearly sort of like in that line, but doesn't have the guts to kind of go full for it. Yeah, it keeps, yeah. It's it's that thing, isn't it? You say it's sort of, I wondered if, for the first time watching this time, I wondered if there was a version of this or there's a version of the script. I haven't watched the special features on the, because I've got like a limited edition of this now. I've got like, it's got like a bunch of special features. It's got like a, a booklet with essays. So I'm going to read more of that now because I'm, I'm really quite fascinated. But I'm like, I wonder if, and I think there must have been a version of this script that was probably darker and probably more raunchy. And they've gone, cut that, cut that, cut that but you can get away with this, this, and this, because there are scenes and there are things that allude to, um, like you said, allude to what, what was may have been there before. From the opening get-go, I mean, let's, like you say, that's not sort of like the opening of this film um, where you see Howard on on Duckworld, uh, and I... I, I We'll talk about the puns later, but um, yeah. on Duck World or whatever it is, and when he is taken, you know, he is pulled through and pulled and, and got taken to Earth. Like you know, you see, like he he looks at play, uh, you know, play duck. Um, but then he um, go, when he gets pulled through, you see a, a female duck in the bath. You see duck boobs. Like, yeah, no, is, the full, full nude duck boobs. Yeah, which is bizarre because it's like some someone had to sculpt that costume, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is bizarre. That's not even what bothers me. What bothers me is like, how is this getting a rating, right? Because somebody's looking at this and like, you cannot show full on naked breasts in a movie that gets, I mean, what is this rated? PG, PG 13? This was I a mean, PG in the UK. This was, was originally a PG. It has been re-rated on its re-release of the special edition as a twelve, so it's gone up in its rating hmm. um, because of, of of things. Um, and funnily but, you enough, know, if you showed them, if you showed full-on breasts that were flesh, oh, that'd be fifteen. You know, yeah, yeah, right. But you know, I mean, that's a big deal. You know, mm. but I mean, supposedly, I don't think it should be. But I mean, I think it should be mandatory viewing for every six-year-old, frankly. But you know, if um, if you say this is an alien and so her breasts are blue or they're covered in scales or they're dark Feathers. breasts yeah. and are feathery, then somehow that's totally fine. Let, it's like, how do I rate that? Let's is that talk a costume about, or is that breast? 
let's talk about this because right. So when this but, film when this film was released in the I UK, let's talk some more about Doc Titties. Oh no, yeah, no, I'm getting. I will. We will we go into yeah. this. I'm not because I want to talk about Doc Titties. But one of the things I want to talk about is the fact that when this was released in the UK. Uh, and when it went to home video, uh, that it had cuts. Some bits were cut out of it for in order for it to get the PG rating. The two bits in particular that were cut out in order for it to reach its PG rating was the moment that um, uh, Beverly pulls the the little condom out of his wallet. Mm-hmm. That got cut. And then the later... The on... sex? It's not yeah, it's yeah, okay yeah. that they are talking yeah. about bestiality. Yeah, but the idea that you'd have safe sex is what's scary to the Brits, right? Apparently so. <laughs> and then the other thing is, as you mentioned, the sort of the Jeffrey Jones extendable tongue in the cabin, mm. in the in the lorry cabin, that was cut as well. However, the things that remain was was duck boobs, and Beverly, uh, you know, basically making out with with making Howard. Out, yeah. Yeah, those two seem fine, but these two of the two of the bits, it almost feels like the BBFC were a bit like, well, we've got to cut something, <laughs> so yeah. we might as well take those bits. It's bizarre, but yeah, the, 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 like you say, I can't believe. Um, but those things, like you say, especially especially from the outset, one of the things I was quite like you say, um, you know, like you said, he oh. smokes, he drinks, there's boobs, like this this film from the in the first I mean, he 15... talks about scoring women, and, yeah, you know, yeah. In the first 15 minutes, this film sort of like lays out its tone and stuff and then never quite. Hmm. Well, never I, quite, I would disagree you know, with that. I think hmm. it kind of like ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do. I do think that it like it, I, I think that it starts with this. Um, you know, the duck puns and the <laughs> duck world stuff. And I don't think that that. For me, I don't think that sets the tone very well. Mm. I've got to say, though, the costumes are good. This is the one thing I would say. You said oh, the, yeah. the duck boobs. And we will talk about uh, Ed Gale and, and being the costume, but um, the costume in this, especially for that first bit, it's weird. It's 86, and this is so there's no CGI. So you can see sort of like the green, the, the green screening and the back projection in several places. It stands out, but when he's been like pulled back through that hallway and there's all these different ducks and there's all these different things going on. Like mm. I'm kind of impressed with mm-hmm. some of the duck costumes. And when you get in the street and there's like a whole bunch of people in duck costumes like, doing stuff, I'm like, Oh, well, fair play. Like you put the money on the screen, at least for this opening bit, you've, you've gone for it. So it's, it's suitably weird. Um, Cause that's never, as far as I remember, like Gerber, mm never really goes to duck world in the comic. Like it's obviously all done with the nexus of reality and it sort of has, you know, it's also with man thing and everything else. But um, yeah, no, I kind of like, I do. I like the opening of this film. It's bizarre and fun. Well, I did want to jump back and say that um, when, even in the version that is released when Leah Thompson finds the condom, she goes, Oh, Howard. Yeah. As if like, it's so naughty that you're having sex, you know, like it's very bizarre. Um, like she's disappointed in him for a moment or something. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, this is the thing, sort of, we'll talk about Leah Thompson's acting in this, but uh, I, the thing that, sort of, and this is a real sort of like weird nitpick. How unhygienic is it though that that condom's not in a wrapper? Like she just pulls that's out. What of his... I thought. Yeah, no, that's what like... bothered me. Is I'm <laughs> like I'm not bothered that a human being has a condom. You yeah. know, like you know, maybe I get laid once a year. 
you know, which is about accurate. But, you know, you've got a condom to be prepared for yeah. that party if that happens. Good on you, right? Um, but, yeah, it's weird that it's, like... Not in a wrapper. <laughs> yeah, so you've got, like, lint and dust trapped by the head of your penis. And, yeah. you know, like, what's going on? Yeah, that bit felt like, again, like, you know... It, 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 with something like Jorex, I'm sure like they could have had like Ducks X or something that you know I don't know. But it, it always seemed like they missed out on a pun there, possibility. But yeah, it, mm. that was the weird bit for me. Um, but yeah, well, like, going back to the 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 alien planet, I mean, I think that you know, first of all, you can't criticize how silly this is and still be down with the dumb multiverse stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the multiverse stuff. This is the multiverse. It's just in our universe, right? Mm. And there's that speech about how every planet is weird and different to every other, you know, I mean, this is the multiverse comic, you know, concept, like no matter how weird you can think of it, some other universe has this. And so might not have a duck universe. Yeah. No, it, yeah. It's a little on the nose. It's a little, you know, just like ours. Um, and there are a few moments like that where I'm like, you know, right. How does he know Japanese you know, like clearly J- Japan is the same there. English is the same there. I mean, but I think part of the humor is, you know, which is way advanced for its time, was sort of like Fritz the Cat, right? It, mm, it's this mm. idea of taking an anthropomorphic sort of Donald Duck type and the original Howard was closer to Donald and got sued. Mm. But, you know, the idea is, you know, taking that kind of like animated look and making him a dirty pervert. Mm. Um, and I think this is what, you know, a lot of the energy of South Park, um, you know, especially like the, the, the forest critters, you know, and all of that. Um, I mean, this is a trope that has been mined very successfully since Howard the Duck. But, you know, I, I think in 1986 was a little, still a little, scary or hard to figure out how to sell this to the population well i, th- I think the thing is like you say because of the the donald duck association because even in 1986 i think although sort of because of what howard the duck the cartoon was i say 10 years before this like late 70s isn't it sort of um the girl the duck cartoon no no ca- oh comic. you mean you mean the you mean the comic, comic. Yeah. yeah 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 so and that and that obviously you know as a comic as comic fans, then look, it came out and it was, it was, it, you know, hit a chord. There was obviously the whole thing of in, in the comics as well, but it sort of hit a chord across Marvel was like Howard for president. And, you know, they, mm. they sort of did some really weird stuff with it. It got meta <clears throat> where you had like conversations with the writer and all this other stuff. Like it went all over the place. It was a fascinating comic, but you then take that idea, let's say of the anthropomorphic duck and put it into another media and you are then uh, hindered by, and I'm not, I don't want to say the sophistication of the audience, but let's say the expectations of the audience of taking that and doing something with it that's either satire or dark humour or sort of raunchy humour. Like you say, I don't think they were ready for that in other media. Like you'd had, like, say, Felix the Cat, uh, not for Fritz the Cat and these other things, but, like, it was still new. And so I think you can tell almost with this as well that the studio... Um, and obviously, I assume like producers and stuff were still thinking like, "Oh, this is based on a comic. This is about a duck that mm-hmm. talks." Oh, we're thinking, as you said, like duck tales. That like we're thinking 
Donald Duck, Daffy Duck. We're thinking like kids film. Oh, we're going to be raking in that sort of like ET money or something like they're thinking. Do you know what I mean? That's clearly on somebody's mind because there are scenes in this where you're like, oh, whoever came up with that fucking song at the end of this thing, like, you know. uh, I love that song. Um, I I love that song. We'll we'll get into this later. (laughs) But, um, you know, I mean, there is is that element of it where, you know, it's like uh, Roger Rabbit or Cool World. Yes. Where, you know, before it's time, and people don't give it credit for being that, mm. but that is what it wants to be. It just can't fully commit to it in oh, the way that both of those. No, I agree. I think, I think, yeah, it's sort of, um, and it is disappointing in that, that it doesn't fully commit because it, if it did, I think this film would be elevated and would be, would be, you know, there's because st- there's still bits in this. Like fundamentally, like the plot is fine. Like you know, it's it's sort of he gets sent to Earth. It follows the comic in many ways. Like, you know, he gets sent to Earth, mm-hmm. you know, meets Beverly, ends up trying to get a job, wants to go home. Like, that's it. It's a very, very simple plot. It's not overly complicated. There's no sort of conspiracy. There's no big betrayals or big sort of, like, twists. It's all very straightforward. Um, and then the end result is, like, it, it has a bit of an action scene at the end, which actually, again, is self-contained. It's not, you know, this, you know it's all very good. Um. So yeah, it's the fact that like you say if it, it could have done all of that and then been um darker. More raunchy. More raunchy, yeah. darker. It could have done all those sort of things. Because they say even the director, and I, I want to talk about that to give two examples. Um the scenes that I'm trying to think of so. The, the two scenes that sort of like a, I can think of, of where it's at the opposite poles of where it's sort of like it wants to do something. It doesn't. When they go to the museum and they meet the Tim Robbins character, sort of the scientist, Philzy for the first time. And then he leaves and sort of a store, you know, uh, uh, Howard storms out and yeah. uh, he's on that sort of on the side of that fountain. And all those kids are sort of like going, Ooh, ah, and they're all poking and right. sort of talking to him and stuff. And he's telling them to go away. And then he just basically goes, Ooga booga. And it's sort of like, you can there's there's almost like it's like you they so i could even i can even imagine there's a, a version of the script where he just went off on one of those kids yeah yeah where yeah. it's like fuck off and he just goes off at the kids like because you're there like are, there in fact there are like three places where it's clear that he's saying fuck off yeah but he says like something else off like bug off or something yeah and everybody reacts as if he just said fuck off and it's yeah, and it's and it's just, so you, you can feel that 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 was probably what was directed. It may have even been what was said on set, and then it's been adjusted. And then the other one is when Beverly is getting into bed, um, mm-hmm. and she's in her lingerie, she's in her underwear and stuff. And like Howard's clearly, he's like, oh, I'm, I've now got a new appreciation for the human female form. And yeah. I remember the first time watching this and thinking exactly the same thing and going, yes, yeah. Me too. Like Leah Thompson has, has awoken things in me, you know. Um, and <laughs> she still is still. We'll have to talk about that. But oh, I watched this too when... young. Like I watched this probably when I was about so eighty six. I watched this on video, and this came. So this I must have watched it like at least probably two years later. So I was probably about eight or nine when I saw this. Okay. Um, but watching that again, like you know, that whole the way that she is shot, 
the way that that set that that shot is set up, like the you know, and all mm-hmm. that, like, and I'm not going to say it's it's. I'm trying. It's not sex. It's not because I think you know, this is one of those weird films where sort of like I don't think that Beverly is particularly like a damsel in distress. She's never shown to be sort of like she's pretty confident. She, you know, she's ambitious, yeah. whatever. Um, but she's clearly shown to be incredibly sexy, and that yeah. whole that shot is sort of like. Again, where they've gone, like, oh, you're shooting her from behind, so you're showing all this other stuff. You, you know what she's wearing, like it's incredibly skimpy. Like she's sort of slinking across the bed. Exactly, and everything about it, I'm going like, oh no, this is incredibly, yeah. you know, not adult, but like you are, you are clearly there's something you are aiming for. Well, that's the natural um, lampoon vibe, right? Exactly. Like, yes. Well, yeah. and then, but then I agree with you completely. I mean, about everything. And, you know, we'll talk about our childhood experiences later. <laughs> but, um, you know, then she comes on to him and expresses that she's willing to have sex. And he hides under the covers. And it seems like such a cop-out. Like, clearly, he is not a virgin. Uh, he just, like, transforms personality mm. instantly. And it's never really explained. He's clearly scared. And then she says, I was just kidding. Um, then and that all feels completely wrong. And then she goes in for the kiss and, you know. Um, you get the shadow. It's like a silhouette. The other characters come in. Right. Yeah. You get the Austin Powers moment, right? Exactly. And so the sort of like the start of that scene and the end of that scene. Yeah. Can feel. Now, what I would say is, sorry, I would say the start of that scene and then the silhouette. <clears throat> At the end of it, feel right connected, all right. But yeah, they're a, together. Yeah, there's a there's a section in the middle that where they've gone. Oh no, we can't have him. We can't have them both consenting to this, or we need to have it as a right. joke or something. Like it needs to feel. We can't really be completely sort of. We can't show that we are fully supportive of bestiality, or you know, like it's not quite right. They don't know how to deal with this. And so, yeah, and, and and there are a few lines that even suggest to me that Howard is saying something like, like the reason why he's cautious is because duck penises are smaller and different, mm. and he sort of suggests that, and then that turns into a sort of overall fear. Um, and I almost feel like there was an earlier version of the script where he you know, said like, look, I don't know if this is physically going to work, you know, where they, where the, the writers sort of played with this idea and went right up against it more. And she said, well, I'm willing to try, you know, and then she leans in for the kiss and, and the scientists come in. Um, and instead, you know, that turned into like, oh, we can't talk about the shape of penises, and, you know, uh, they can't be interrupted uh, as if they're about to do it. Um, we have to have, but it's totally unmotivated and it's not of a piece with the rest of the film. And you're right to isolate. Yeah. And so that, and that's what I think. I I almost feel like you say that there's a, you know, like you say, there constantly feels like versions of this script <laughs> where you've got the, the, like, you know, and I can imagine when it was put, like it was put out to the producers or the studio. When it came back, there was like, big sticky like um post-it notes on it like can't do this can't do this you know remove this like 
I, I, I just have this feeling. I've got, we have to make this episodes. movie because George Lucas is attached to this, right? But uh, yeah. Lucas wants us to shoot what? Like, like, we're having reality on screen. So yeah, six years before, I know he had twins kissing in his last film, but like you know, in one of his early films. But we can't go the full bestiality just yet. I I, I want to talk about that's something to note. Actually, it's it's a side point. We will tell. Is this is a this is very much linked associated with George Lucas? He didn't direct it, didn't write it. He was executive producer, but he he made it happen. He was a fan. Hour. Yeah, he was the, he was one of the sort of like the powerhouses behind this. Um, uh, but I've never heard him talk about it. Yeah, like he's nowhere to be <laughs> he's nowhere to be seen on any of the special features. You know, it's only sort of like very specific people. And I just find that interesting that he obviously made this happen. I wonder how much he saw him as like, oh yeah, this isn't <laughs> what I thought it was going to be. I don't know, but I've never heard. I've never heard George yeah, Lucas sort of talk about this film. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. I'd like to hear, you know, more of that background. Yeah, I think it'd be fascinating sort of like where his sort of like, you know, comes into this. Um, I was going to say that, you know, you were talking about how the film works. That I was going to say that the film works for me. It, it actually works for me better from the middle on. Mm. And, you know, there are a lot of movies, as we have talked about, that sort of start great. I mean, like Valerian starts like it's a nine or ten out of ten, right? Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. just drops off a cliff and struggles to get back, right? We could debate how how well it does, but I mean, then there are movies that just, they start strong and they just taper off and every scene is worse. And then there are movies that just start weak and, you know, ascend until by the end you're holy shit, they did something here. They went for that. Uh, Kudos. And I tend to be, I think that overall, I tend to be more impressed with good endings. Mm. I think that if anything, personally, I'm biased toward a good ending that's been, you know, well set up or it's worked, you know. um, You know, I'll I'll take a Rogue One over Force Awakens. Um, Yeah. So here, I feel like it starts really uneven. And then he falls to Earth, and I think the weakest part is right after he arrives on Earth, where he's battered. He, you know, he lands, and it's this silly stuff of like bumping into, you know, like the the rooftops of, you know, and and somehow managing to land in a, a lounge chair that's in an alleyway because why not? That's but, that's where you'd land if you crash landed from outer space. But this, and then he's just a highlight. Around. But that that lounge chair he lands in is the lounge chair. Oh yeah. It's his lounge chair, so that's sort of the, the, the one of the. Sort but it of was things, like but... separated from him in deep space, you know. Yes. I mean, you're yeah. right. Oh yeah, you're good point. But you know, and then instantly people come up with him and start a fight, and you know he ends up being thrown around and having every bad thing happen to him imaginable, and winds up in a trash can that then is disturbed. I mean, that whole sequence is so horrible. Um, that's to me the weakest part of the film. I've got to say, though, it's one of those things that like he's landing on Earth. I, 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 I agree. I know what you mean. I won't go as far as horrible, but I have, I have a weird sort of, like, nostalgic appreciation for 80s, like, punks. Like, this, this, this you know, um, I understand that these gangs 
clearly existed. Like they really existed. Like I've seen things about them and that. But how sort of like Hollywood took them and made them sort of <laughs> like a comedy trope. Like everything was like, oh yeah, like big cities have got these gangs and they've all got like they're all punk gangs and they've all got crazy names and all this other stuff. Like I kind of love it. I just I love the fact they turn up because it clearly they clearly were a thing and they turn up in comics as well. Um but yeah, they're here yeah. as well. They're just as bad. Um and it's just as silly. It's not it's, well, it's when he eats meat Beverly. It's, more than, like, it's when he's he's knocked around, you oh. know, he's like thrown around. These these are injuries that would kill a person. Um they should kill him yeah. over and over again. But it's played for comedy and he doesn't do a lot of talking. We don't really know his character very well. Um, it's just like welcome to Earth. It's a real dark place, mm. um, and and sort of none of it works. And then you know he's seen Beverly in the club, but then he happens to be there as Beverly is being sexually assaulted against the trash can where he's happened to hide. And it's like he could have accomplished this introduction in the club somehow, mm. right? Like you know, I mean, it's, I know it's the eighties, so you're not allowed to object to gratuitous sexual assault. Um, you know, but it's totally gratuitous and it, it just needs to happen so that he can, you know, come out of his hiding place and rescue her. Um, and for me, that's the weakest part of the movie. But having said that, I'm amazed how once you hit, you know, like around the middle, everything works for me in this movie. Mm. There's very little that does not work. And even, you know, these chases, like, it's not even clear, like, you know, you're coming from a nuclear power plant, which is a very rushed scene. So, like, you know, they find a flying contraption in a back lot at a truck stop. <laughs> you know, I, I totally buy that. Like, yeah. it, it just works in this kind of, like, 80s movie magic so well from there until the, you know, you can dig it the rock star conclusion, you know, which is a little bit of a capstone. But, you know, I have to say, this is a rare case where the climax just works for me. And even the dialogue, even the comedy, like, you know, with um, Tim Robbins hanging off that aircraft, you know, being dunked in the water. And he says, you know, get up here, you know, like, what are you doing down there? That's very, like, Indiana Jones kind of comedy. Oh, yes. If anything, it works better here. Yeah. Well, I, I, I 100% agree, actually, with that. Like, I like the style. I, I find the stuff to, to, to like the style. You know, in... What I would say is, is like it's, it's one of those weird origin things that they've got to set stuff up. Like the whole first 20 minutes to half an hour is all about setting up, isn't it? So you've got those weird sort of sections of, um, you know, you're trying to set up the duck world and you've got all that stuff there. You've got, I mean, the, the, one of the things I wanted to just putting duck on things does not make it a pun. Like we don't have, because uh, one of the worst ones is blooming ducks. I'm like, we don't have blooming humans. Like it's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Like I hate. Some of the puns in this are so awful. No, I thought the uh, same thing. But, you know, it's exactly that point of like, yeah, you know, we don't we don't have like hair in, you know, in like mm. half of our names, you know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, it was. It, yeah. Less said about the, some of the puns, the better. But. It's, it's all about setting things up. Like, you know, they introduce like quack foo and they've got, which sort of like, you know, they're trying to set up all this other stuff. Fine. They want to set up the relationship between Howard and Beverly and establish her as being this sort of singer with this band. And, and so the whole sort of first bit is all that setup. It's sort of like trying to be exposition without telling you lots. And I, I get that. So I understand and I appreciate some of that. But 
him finding a job, like you say, there's a weird bit where like they're trying to set him up and it's almost like a sketch comedy for a section where it's like, here's him um, going to get a job. Like you say, how does he know this stuff? Like here's him going to get yeah. a job. And then he goes to this sort of um, this sex sauna thing. And again, I'm kind of sort of fine with that because it's again, it fits into that mold of like you say, the National Lampoon sort of like Animal House or whatever. Like it fits into that. I could imagine again that what, feels what tapered. Me about that real quick is is that he goes to an employment agency, and it's a <laughs> sassy, overweight black woman who's like, "All you people just want to, you know, keep being on the dole, and I'm going to force you to take this job. I'm going to, you know," and I think. What version of an unemployment, you know, temp agency is this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously jobs are plentiful, and you know, you just have to suck it up and take a job you don't like. I mean, everything about that scene is just really horrifically wrong. Yeah, it is. But then, but then, but then the the actual job is fine. It's yeah, pretty fun. I kind of I like the stuff when he's in the sauna. It's, it's it works kind of well. It's sort of like I like the fact that by this point, like no one seems to be acknowledging. That, like it's inconsistent. Like who acknowledges him as a duck? Like some people just don't care. <laughs> um, and I find that kind of funny. But then when he re, re- he reconnects with with um, uh, Beverly because he sort of has the fight in the bar. From that point on, I actually kind of like that. When he has that fight about being the man, the girls with the girls' manager and and that, mm. and mm. people are what you know that that works for me as well because again, like you know, it shows him to be kind of tough, but without being sort of like you know, like you say super heroic. Like he's just a bit. He he's got a good heart, but he isn't actually like you say quite a good guy at times. Yeah. Um. From that point on, I actually do kind of enjoy all this sort of stuff. I think it all starts to work really well. Um. And because it starts to sort of develop, and they seem comfortable with the character. Even Jeffrey Jones is one of those people, and I know he has, like, say, his public, his personal history has has taken a bit of a. Uh, I don't his, know his, anything about that. He has a checkered. He has later in life. He has a checkered history. Let's put it that way. Um, with fascism or with Me Too stuff. Me Too stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know the full details. I just know he sort of. He, yeah. Um, but I really, I, I really like Jeffrey Jones. I do. I think, I think, I think yeah. he's great in this. Um, and like he the whole, a, he has always played that game really awesome, creepy, kind of awkward at best, awkward mm. potential slime ball, and at first, like really slimy villain. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's really good at that in a lot of eighties. Oh yeah, yeah, and probably best known for like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But like in th- mm. this, when he's possessed by the Overlord, he just keeps saying stuff. And the, the the whole diner scene, I love the whole diner scene because oh. he's he's so I agree. he's really good in it. Um, and I think the whole setup, is, yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm kind of sort that, of that like, whole so, diner scene, like none of it should work. Yeah, and yet uh, the way in which it's so awkward, like they serve eggs to Howard. I mean, yeah. all the comedy is kind of it's one of those scenes where everything is overlapping. And it's like it's super awkward. You're standing across from somebody who's speaking in an odd voice and claims he's, you know, a dark overlord, and they don't really know whether to believe it. And then there's Howard with the eggs, and you know, everybody is so overwhelmed. And I think that's totally relatable in this weird way. Yeah. It's one of those scenes where you feel like I've had this conversation. I've been in that diner with just weird people who are making me super uncomfortable and making the wait super uncomfortable. And I don't know how to deal with it. It's very relatable in a, in a weird way. 
and then also like the what is it uh, cajun sushi like yeah. It's, yeah. it's so bizarre like oh i mean i'm an american from the midwest i know that diner yeah right? like, anyway, i mean everything works I, yeah well i like the fact that like you say even they acknowledge it's cajun sushi because it, it was something else before and there's a big sticker over the <laughs> yeah. thing outside um all of it, I, I really like that whole dynasty, and I think the whole thing, like you say, it, it, it's where it hits the peak for me. Because there's mm. and there's also some like great little one-liners when like because they do attack Howard, and the, the, you know they're gonna they realize he's an actual duck, and they're gonna chop him up, which <laughs> is so ridiculous over the top. But it feels like out of the comics. Yeah. I'm still watching this and going like yeah. this still feels like the comics to me. Um, but there's a great scene when Beverly's trying to get. Um, Jenna, the doctor, Dr. Jenner, isn't he sort of like get, he's been possessed, but she's trying to get him to intercede and he won't. And his simple line is like, he says, What were you? What were you going He took away my eggs. Like, that's it. That's his <laughs> old excuse. Like, he says, Well, I he's like, I wanted it. I saw it and I actually wanted this. Like, you took away my eggs. Um, but it's it, all that kind of, yeah, that whole dynasty <laughs> makes me laugh. Like, it, it, it's, I use yeah. it, it shouldn't. Um, but then when Jenna does stand up and starts using his powers and, and all that sort of stuff, like, it's, it's fun. It's silly, but I, yeah. it makes me chuckle. Like I actually, I'm actually engaging with the film. Um, I agree. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's, it's, it's working for me. And where this is where I was watching that scene. And you said about Thor, and it's funny because I did think about Thor actually when I was watching that scene. It I was the same like, movie basically. Yeah, well, because I was thinking about the fish out of water stuff, you know. Where I was like, I'm so glad they haven't, they sort of tease it at times, but like they haven't gone this whole thing of like, oh, he's a complete sort of like, you know, fish out of water kind of comedy. But I'm like, no, no, I don't need him to sort of have that. He, because we've seen that Duck World is very similar to our world. So he sort of picks up on it. But like you say, with Thor, it sort of, it, 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 it gets ham fisted and, and sort of like silly, where I, it sort of bothers me a little bit. But they don't do that here, and I kind of like that that they don't sort of have that. And but they have little bits of it, like the eggs. The eggs is yeah. you know that's funny. Um, yeah. That they they hit on that, but that's it. And then they leave it at that, and then they're sort of like it's just you know um, it, it it doesn't have to be sort of more fish out of water stuff because he just wants a beer. And I kind of like that. There's, there's there's some other good lines like that where like he's handed because it acknowledges size as well. And he's handed, like Beverly just hands him like a normal bottle of beer. And he's like, oh, big yeah. brewski. Like it's obviously bigger yeah. for him. So right. I like stuff like that. So it, That's a like, nice little touch. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like little flourishes yeah. without without him going like, you know, in another film, it'd be like, oh my God, look at the size of this kind of thing. Like they'd really right. ham that up. But there's it's like little flourishes well, acknowledging it. crying, going like, you know, how am I going to get back to my home? You know, like that's clearly his motivation. But there's never, you know, that sort of like, you know, sad sap Lord of the Rings kind of scene where they sit around crying for 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, no, you, Lord of the Rings is another good example, actually, where you've said that because you just use that beer. There's a scene in that where the, the four hobbits go to uh, the Prancing Pony and, and they get, you know, and, and I think Sam, not Samwise, one of them comes back and he's got like a, the massive tankard. And he's mm. like, what's that? And he's like, this is a pint. And they're like, it comes in pints. And you're like, how do you not, you know, clearly, yeah. you know, yes, you're slightly separated. And I've always, that sign's always annoyed me. Because I'm like, you, you know, you're always about this. So what, you have half a pint? But well, then you clearly know it comes yeah. in a pint then. So 
you can't be surprised. You, you can't be surprised. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So th- and it's things like that where you go, that doesn't quite work. But at least, like you say, in I feel with Howard, there are often little flourishes where it acknowledges the differences, but it doesn't ham them up, which is bizarre because there are other things it completely hams up, like duck boobs. So, but mm. um, so yeah, no, I actually appreciate that. Well, let's let's back up for a second. Um, since we were talking about Jeffrey Jones, and mm. you know, we're talking about a little bit of Ed Gale's performance as Howard, which is wonderful. The costume is wonderful. Mm. Um, <coughs> and just, uh, you know, we'll talk about these performances. I mean, Tim Robbins uh, is, he's sort of very Tim Robbins, and he's a very young Tim Robbins at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Tim Robbins is one of my favorite actors. Um, and there are, let's talk about Leah Thompson's performance. Um, you know, I remember I saw this film when uh, it was in theaters. Mm. And, you know, so I was nine years old. And at the time, I had a very strange relationship with my parents. And any time that we went to see a movie, I felt like it was, I have a very distinct memory of seeing this movie. <laughs> uh, this is the first and, you know, possibly only movie I remember such a distinct memory of uh, from that era. And I remember uh, knowing it was a bad movie. And I like it now way more than I did then. <laughs> nine. Um, but like, I knew this was a bad movie, right? But I felt pressure, and I'm sure my parents transferred this somehow, but I felt some sort of pressure that you had to communicate, you had to love everything that you did as a family, right? It Mm -hmm, was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think it was because of like all the fake Christmases and Thanksgiving dinners where it's like, this is so wonderful. And it's like, this is dry, dead turkey, you know, like, (laughs) Um, you know, I mean, like, yeah, I knew I was about to get this. I'm glad I got this, but you know, I've got to open the present and be like, oh, I'm so surprised. And so I think, I said, oh, they said, how did you like it? And I knew they were testing me and that they didn't like it either, the the movie. Mm. But I still said, uh, oh, I loved it. It was like one of the best movies I've ever seen. I love, you know, I loved it from start to finish. And I knew that they wanted me to say the truth mm. so that they would be comfortable voicing their own objections. Um, and instead, I, you know, cock blocked them. Um, <laughs> You know, but did so knowingly in order to affirm them. So mm. I have this very bizarre memory like that, which is tied to knowing it wasn't good, right? But at the same time, um, so I mean, this was after Back to the Future. I never had a crush on Leah Thompson in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Leah Thompson is for me one of the just like prime 1980s actresses. Mm. Um, and you know, I would say like every time that I watch um, Beetlejuice, I think I need humanity to invent a time machine so I can go back in time to when Beetlejuice was shot and get with Renona Ryder because I am in love with her from the beginning of that movie to the end of that movie. And I feel like not as strongly about it, but I feel like something of that for Leah Thompson in this film. Mm. Um, she is like, it's hard not to love her. 
Mm. And I don't know why, if that's just from my experience or... No, th- this is what I wanted to talk about with this film, about some of the performances, because it's an interesting one that, like, um, Jeffrey Jones is like, he's doing his Jeffrey Jones thing, you know, he gets possessed and he's given, he's gone up to 11 and he's giving it all this sort of, like, you know, he's growling and giving it all this sort of, like, slapstick comments. And it, again, it all works. I'm enjoying it. He has that sleazy slime ballness that sort of, that, you know, he's very good at. Tim Robbins reminds me very much of almost like he's he's almost trying to follow the Tom Hanks career, mm. you know, because I know that Tim Robbins is a great actor. Like I, I love some of his later work, both, um, you know, everyone will obviously talk about Shawshank Redemption, but I think like, if everyone's ever seen sort of like, is it Tom 10, 10 Arlington and plays, he's done dark stuff, like, you know, Jacob's mm. Ladder, like he's done some really like cool stuff. So in Tom and, Roberts. You know, I mean, he he wrote stuff too. I mean, he's yeah. a smart guy. Yeah, so he's you know he's a. I think you know I always give time for sort of Tim Robbins, and so so he's but you can see he's sort of trying to he's, he's young in this, and I can see almost that young Tom Hanks giving a similar performance, and so I can see those influences. But like it works, he's fine. He's he's a bit ditzy. He's he's going for the energy. It's all fine. We'll talk about Ed Gale shortly, but like. But the thing that Leah Thompson's doing it is she's almost like, although she's the sort of like the punk, you know, the leader of this sort of like punk rock band and all this other stuff, like she weirdly grounds this film is what she does. Like her performance is actually kind of like low key. It's humble. It's, it's, she, she's endearing, I think is the thing. Like she's beautiful. Like she's a very attractive woman, but more than that, like she's endearing. Like she's never, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think what's the word. like. She's never like um, I don't know. There's no there's there was the, there's the risk of some of this role being bitchy. Like she could have been, you know. And I can see this being another people like you know more modern version of this trying to be sort of like I've got to be a strong independent woman. I'm trying not to be sexist, but like a strong independent woman. Like it would lean into there are certain scenes where I could see it being leaned into as um, bitchy or sort of like you know almost obnoxious to sort of to a, to a point, and she never does that. Like you never feel like she's 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 you know um, her and her bandmates are clearly good friends, and they've sort of it's like it all feels just sort of like it feels positive, and she just comes across in this way of this having this being this very good endearing person, mm-hmm. um, and I just think like she does that very very well. Um, which is why I think, you know, she obviously went on to do lots of things. Like she had a sitcom for a short, long period, didn't she, in the 90s and stuff. Like, I understand why she has that appeal. But she sort of grounds this movie very successfully, where I think the allowing the others to go big, she sort of keeps it down. Um, and that's why I think she's, she's so sort of successful in this film. And I don't think she gets appreciated for that because I think like everyone sort of talks to her obviously about big performances or whatever often, don't they, in these mm. kinds of films. But if she was big as well, if she was doing everything big and loud and sort of like, this film would be, well, I could see why this film fails because it'd be too much. Mm-hmm. But the relationship between, and it's weird to say this, but hit, the relationship between her and Howard feels more, again, I'm just going to use the word endearing and feels sort of like, you know, I wouldn't say authentic, but feels right because of the performance she's given. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I think Leah Thompson's actually quite good in this. No, I agree. And I, and I think that you're onto something. I think that it, I don't know that I can separate the performance from a certain kind of sexism, right? Because mm. she does play into 
gender stereotypes of, mm. you know, she's sweet, she's supportive, you know, et cetera. And, and definitely, you know, in her most famous films, I mean, this Back to the Future, you know, I mean, she is not the main character and she's there in a supporting role, right? Mm. I mean, she is literally supporting Howard in this film. And yet at the same time, she's not whiny. She needs, you know, he does solve her managerial problem, but she doesn't ask for help. Mm. She she doesn't seem helpless by any means. She's part of a, a, a punk band. She seems very, she's obviously confident enough to play in a cage with people throwing stuff at her, right? Yeah. I mean, like, this is a 1980s band, right? Mm. Even if it is in Cleveland. Um, and, you know, I think you're right that she sort of, like, emotionally grounds the film. Um, you know, she gives it so much of its heart. Um, mm. You know, we don't really know, like, Howard is kind of a, a fuck-up. He's kind of, a, you know, a inconsistent character. Um, and, you know, he's heroic. We get He gets that heroic music, especially in the climax. But he's still a little bit of a fuck-up. He's still not sure about sex you know um it's 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 hard to totally understand him as a character and yet at the same time she is there as a kind of like emotional through line mm. for, for the film um and i think it's so hard not to not to love her and not to not to just think you know what an amazingly you know she might not be the best singer ever but i mean what an amazingly just talented kind person you want her to succeed more than yeah. you want Howard to succeed. You know, yeah. like, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree completely. Like, um, and uh, yeah, she, she just is that thing. I'd say supportive, but it's not like when you like she is supportive, but I don't want to say like, she's not like kowtowing down to sort of like, she's not sort of like fo just following um, Howard around, you know, she's not sort of like, you know, and again, like she, she's very rarely sort of like a, a she becomes a sort of a, I don't say the damsel in distress because that sort of is, it downplays it, but like she becomes the, the person to say, but so does, so does Phil, so does the Tim Robbins character. Right. So, you know, it needs to be that heroic thing at the end for, for Howard. Like he needs to have the hero moments and stuff. So that's the role, but she is also the one that sort of like, um, and she stands up to him as well. Like, you know, mm -hmm. let's not forget, like she actually sort of says, like, look, I'm trying to be kind. I thought I'd help someone out. If you're going to be a dick about it, you can leave. Like she doesn't take, she doesn't take his abuse or like, she doesn't take his stroppiness. Like she happily sort of like, so, you know, it's not like she is just sort of like fawning over Howard all the time. It's, it's um, so no, I think she's fine, but you're right. She's like the emotional sort of baseline, the emotional through line for this film. And that's why I do find it incredibly endearing, incredibly. So I think, you know, cause there, there is that thing of, of, um, you know, there are lots and lots of very, very attractive actresses and, you know, they'll do these, they'll do films like this where it, they just sort of grate on you or they sort of, you go, yeah, I can't stand you as a character or sort of like, I don't, I don't like the performance you're giving. And so just being attractive isn't, isn't enough, but she works for this film. I mean, she feels very 80s. I mean, I, you know, there, there oh, are yeah, scenes, sure. there, there are scenes when I'm like, I'm not entirely sure her hair moves like at all. <laughs> and there's a lot of hair going on. Yeah, but, that's true. I mean, but, it's but even so the the look works for it like she she you know she's yeah i mean I, you know i mean there definitely is, is 
you know, that's a downside of 80s fashion, right? Yeah. Uh, too much <laughs> Having said that, I mean, and she is very 80s, but, mm. you know, I think she sort of is so definitively, you know, sort of like the 80s love interest kind of kind of girl. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, she is. Um, but she never, and like I said, because she succeeds, yeah, again, the thing is she succeeds at the end and you obviously, we'll, we'll, I want to get to the end of the you know, when we do, but like, she's not like, um, I don't know, like her music is important to her and it's, it's sort of, it's, but it seems like a, a passion as well. So it's sort of the whole, yeah, she seems like a good character, like a good person. Well, um, also, you know, because she's a musician, you know, she, I mean, she doesn't seem driven by her career in this, like, um, you know, like I know that she, sort of was imagining sort of Cindy Lauper and Madonna, you know, for that role. But if you could imagine like if, if Madonna had played this, she right. would be a much more driven. I don't know. I think Madonna was fine, you know, in her, in her eighties acting jobs, you know, even later. Um, and I'm a Madonna fan, frankly, mm. but, um, but Madonna would have played this, you know, like as much more desperate to succeed. Right. Cause mm. that was, you know, her story, you know, uh, in real life, I mean, she was determined to to fucking make it mm. and ate a lot of shit uh, to get it, and then didn't wind up being maybe the nicest person, you know, <laughs> having achieved that success. Right? Like, I ate a lot of shit to get here. I'm not going to be the nicest guy at the top. Mm. Um, but you know, you don't have any of that neediness. You don't have any of that desperation. But at the same time, you're right. It's clear that she cares about music. Mm. And she's very comfortable being the front man of a band, which frankly takes a kind of personality. Mm. I mean, that's not, um, you know, a shrinking violet character. No. Um, well, and she's not. No. And that's what I like. In one yeah. scene, she even stops, them, stops the band halfway through a song. And she's like, this is depressing. Let's play something mm -hmm. else. Like, they're clearly, you know, they're clearly a competent band sort of thing, and, and so I like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, she she's good in this film. Um, I do like her the Back to the Future films. I think she actually does show range in those, playing the different versions of of Marty McFly's mum uh, and his grand and his grandmother. Um, but I do want to I do want to call Ed, out Ed Gale. Um, and actually, sort of like as a, as a bonus, there is a short. Uh, we're going to have a bonus interview with Ed Gale coming out as a bonus episode to this as a compliment, which dates back to 2018 is when I did this interview with him uh, for 20th Century Geek. But it I talked to him about doing Howard the Duck, and 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 he was also Chucky, and he was also in. Um, he was one of Station in um, uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, so done a lot of things, but. One of the things I find fascinating about this is, is, is like you said, the animatronics for for the facial expressions of Howard. They're actually really good. I think the the, the model work and and there are there's some scenes where it's clearly a, a mm. animatronic figure in the where it's clearly in a suit. But one of the things that's fascinating is how they rehearse this. And he talked he talked about the interview, but like he couldn't see a great deal in that suit. You know, when he's got that head on the animatronic head, he couldn't see much, but he had to sort of navigate around. So he used to rehearse without the helmet and, and keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it and to hit his mark. And then he would blindfold himself and then he would do it again and again and again. And then they'd do it with the helmet on stuff. Because the other thing he had to do, like he had to time it so that when they were doing 
the facial expressions. And this is what I don't think gets credit for. Like he's got to shift and he's got to sort of like act his body. Like if he's going to look surprised, he's got to try and time it with the eyebrows raising it or doing something else. And he can be like, Oh my God. And his hands will go up or his shoulders will go up or whatever. Like they took, there's a lot of work in doing that as well as running around in a, um, in a bird costume, in a duck costume. So, you know, you never get to see Ed, uh, Ed Gale's face. You never get to, but like, I actually want to say that like the performance that he gives, the physical performance as, as Howard, um, you know, just deserves credit, I think, for doing that to be sort of like a, you know, um, a stunt person that sort of does that work. So I do want to throw that out. Um, well, that's very worth mentioning. And, and I agree with you. Um, from what I know about how this performance was delivered. And it's also worth pointing out that uh, he obviously is not the voice of how, no. and he didn't even talk in those performances. Um, so it's like today where people are reacting to, you know, something that's not there. Uh, people had to react. Mm. So, you know, they really had to assemble this in post. Uh, yeah. Like the editing job for this, that you can see how well they've done, but also like you say, you know, credit, where it's due, like the cast obviously working together uh, to do those reaction shots or working with with Ed to to sort of have some of those shots, whether it's, um, you know, the, the, let's this is let's, to be fair, like there's there's choreographed sort of like you know not so much fight scenes, but there's choreographed scenes. There's a dance routine at the end. Um, <laughs> you know, to do that stuff must have taken a lot of work. So you know, it's worth. This isn't this isn't something like you sort of, but what I would say is for me at least, and this is I think one of the important things we've talked about. So we've talked about all the human characters. We've talked about Howard as well being slightly insistent, uh, inconsistent character throughout it, and I think that comes down to writing and, and other things. However, what I would say is, despite the costume being, and this is how good I think the costume is. If you're if you're flowing with this film, and by big portions of this film I am flowing with this film I'm yeah. digging it and I'm good with it I'm not thinking although I acknowledge Ed Gales in that suit a lot of times I'm not thinking Ed Gales in that suit mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm enjoying Howard the Duck interplay how <laughs> Howard's interplay with these other characters and that's the important thing is like I'm not you know, I don't, I don't know if it's like Stan, this is Jim Henson, I think, or Stan Winston Tudor, so I don't know. But it seems like a, whoever made the costume in and did it, like, worked incredibly hard to the extent of, like, there are entire scenes where, like, say, like, it, it doesn't even register with me that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm watching the guy in a suit. Like, this is just, I'm watching Howard the Duck. Like, I don't know. It, 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 I, I'm buying into um, where I think the costuming works. Because again, if the costuming or the animatronics or something was worse, um, I think you know it wouldn't fail. But this is where I also think, and I want to throw this in just so I think practical effects have um, even poor or you know sometimes iffy practical effects work better than CGI because. Poor CGI stands out much more mm. than than poor practical effects because practical effects have weight. They have, um, you know, the end of this film has some clear sort of uh, stop motion animation used for the the Overlord creatures. The, the and the back screening isn't great. Doesn't always kind of look fantastic, but I'm more bought into that 
and I, I enjoy it more. Maybe this is a nostalgia thing, but I buy mm. into that and I enjoy that more sometimes than like the massive bombast of a sort of a big CGI, you know, shoot fest or big sort of, you know, I don't know. It, I, I'm just more bought into that. I don't know whether that's my age or what. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I was I was reading an article recently about, uh, you know, especially with Avatar 2 mm. coming out, about whether CGI has gotten worse in the last 10, 15 years. Mm. And, you know, it said indisputably it's gotten better just in terms of computer processing. Mm. But people complain that it looks worse. And you can look at, not all, but some CGI from 10, 15 years ago, and that looks better mm. than, you know, a lot of these scenes these days. And, um, you know, some of it is, some of it is practical facts. Um, you know, you look at like Jurassic Park and it's a minority of the dinosaurs that are CG, right? Yes. Um, you know, and we forget that. But, you know, also people don't complain about CG in scenes where, like they've removed trucks and changed, you know, the um, facades of buildings to make them look like it's the 1950s, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People, because that was a practical shot that then the CG comes in and is removing like the crane, it's removing the, you know, it's, et cetera. They did use CG in this movie actually to remove the cables mm. when he's being whisked back as one of the early CG shots. But, you know, again, the the core there is a practical shot. And this is what, like, Chris Nolan talks about, which is when you, you know, when you take a, you know, it's like, you know, in what was pointed out, it's like uh, Avatar 2, they shot underwater. Mm. Um, you know, Aquaman, they are just not underwater. And you know yeah. they're not underwater because <laughs> yeah. it's shot. And then they add water effects, right? Um, there's like a fan blowing their hair and you're like, yeah, hair doesn't move like that underwater. Um, you know, so no matter how much you adapt that in the computer, it's never going to look right. Mm -hmm. um, and your eyes are going to pick up that it doesn't look right. So sometimes there are things, you know, that you, that you can't do outside of uh, computer graphics. But, you know, I think that, and maybe the day will come where, it doesn't matter. The computer's just so good. Um, but usually our eyes, when we can ground it in realistic lightscapes and realistic things that are then altered or augmented by the computer, it's a lot easier to believe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. And I think that there are shots that look antiquated i mean there are shots in ghostbusters you know mm. this plot is has an ending that's not so dissimilar from ghostbusters um there's shots in both especially in the end of ghostbusters we just see errors oh yeah you know where you know they're just errors but it's forgivable because you're like oh yeah i mean like it's really cool that they made this movie that's amazing um you know and back then yeah it was going to an effects house but it's not, you know, the other thing is, you know, when you imagine like Ray Harryhausen, stop motion animated stuff. And the villain at the end of this is stop motion animated. Mm. And it, you know, it's certainly tolerable to cool somewhere in that range. Um, but, you know, when you imagine somebody stop motion animated, you see the work on the screen. Yes. When you see a special effects shot done on the computer, you know, 
in some ways, because it is so advanced, you don't appreciate the artistry that's required there. You know, you don't see, you know, the fingerprint of the artist. And so, you know, it, it just becomes more generic and it's easier just to shit on. Whereas, you know, if you see like a Rancor monster animated by mm. somebody in stop motion, it's like, holy shit, some guy spent like years making this. Like, that's so awesome. And I and I do feel that way about yeah, shots in this movie versus superior it's a, shots. It's the same with, I mean, to talk about, no, I agree. And because and, and, I, I feel the same about like matte paintings. You said about sort of um, the CG rendering of sort of like buildings or a sort of a cityscape and. Um, but you, you and I come from a sort of, and they still, they still don't say, but you and I come from the sort of the era of of, of matte paintings, where you're like, you know, you will see a great vista of something like we even sort of. Let's talk about, uh, you know, one of the films we talked about, the Forbidden Planet. Like, there's a great shot where like the the ship lands, and this is, you know, this vista of sort of the planet. Yeah, none of that exists. It's all painted. <laughs> and you know Indiana Jones has done this. And I say Ghostbusters has got a couple of map. Yeah, the, the map painting in Ghostbusters wobbles actually at one point. We know that, but there's mm-hmm. so many films that have done great, great map paintings. Where sort of like I actually think one of my the, my favorite examples is actually uh, Conan the Barbarian, the 1982 film. There's some exceptional map painting work done in that film um, to sort of make the the Hyperion Hyperion Age you know, bring it to life and they've got these great vistas and all this stuff. Love it. I absolutely love all that stuff. Cause someone stood, someone's had to build that and not only they had to sort of paint it, they've had to understand the scale of the shot that they're going to be doing well in advance. So they can sort of place it and, and map it and do all this other stuff. And then they've had to paint it all on sort of to do all the bits and pieces. Like, yeah, it's not easy. They, they spent time doing that. And, and like I said, there's a fingerprint to that. And you do, I think we do forget that there's, there is artistry and there is work involved in doing the computer animation and it, it gets sort of sidelined. But one of the things I think, and we sort of talked about it, I think we talked about it briefly before we started really, was this idea of it's clearly coming out of the animation studios now, how high pressured it is hmm. and where, um, so you're right, processing power and, and, and actually sort of like, you know, the, the, the actual technology is, is, is obviously much, much, much better. But I think they're trying to produce more faster. And so I think sometimes that sort of, sometimes the quality sometimes slips. Like if you really wanted, I mean, one of the examples I see gets, that gets held up is Davy Jones from, I think it's the second um, Pirates of the Caribbean film. Um played by Bill Nye, but like that character is an octopus. I've got the octopus face and that sort of thing. Like it does even today. That was like 2006, 2007, I think Uh, you watch that film today. That CGI stands up. Like it's really good. Took them over a year to put that together, you know, and you go, okay, Mm -hmm. they took time to do that. Like, you know, all that today, that'd be like, all right, we've got four months, bang it out. Let's get it done. Sort of thing. Um, Well, and and that's another problem is, that you know the way they pay for these things is the number by the shot right yes and so for the studio they say we've contracted say 110 shots for this movie right well when they come back and say oh actually we decided you know this guy's tentacles should be thinner and green you don't get extra money to have to fix all so 
you know, if you're a CG studio, you're not paid by the hour, right? Mm. You're paid by the shot. So you have an overall contract. So if, if like they knew in that case a year ahead of time, what those tentacles should look like, they had some artists make renderings, give them, you know, uh, I mean, on paper, mm. give them to the, and, and say, make them look like this. And, you know, ideally you get that footage, you know, in a reasonable time. And then you don't make notes that invalidate all of that work and have to go back in. You know, it's like, well, you know, oh yeah, we, we decided to totally change the concept of this and you've got two weeks to, to change this. Mm. Um, well, you know, I mean, this is a big problem and not giving people the lead time and trusting them as artists yes. to, you know, I mean, that's one thing that happened with Ray Harry Owls and nobody's going to go back in and say, you know, actually, all the skeletons need to be bulked up. They don't look strong enough. Yeah. You know, what the fuck are you going to do? I spent a year <laughs> shooting this, you know. I mean, you can't go back and do that. But people feel as if they can with CG. Um, and, you know, so maybe part of the problem is not trusting mm. those people as artists to really be using the tool and giving them the lead time that you need as an artist. Well, I think that's the thing. I think you're right because people just think, "Oh, computers! Oh, I can just type it in, and all, I'll, you know, you just put that in the program, and it'll do it." Not realizing that there's like a whole bunch of work that's gone into wireframing that and doing the motion properly, and then doing the rendering and all this other stuff. Like, so yeah, it is. It's, it's layer after layer after layer to then integrate it into the shot. And so I, I, you're right. It's just I don't think it's appreciated as much. But um, and when it's done well, again you know, it should be seamless. Like it shouldn't stand out as CGI unless it's sort of supposed to sort of look like CGI or supposed to be a big shot where you go, oh, it's clearly, you know, been CGI'd. But one of the things about it is, is I, I, you're right, we come from an era of like, you know, very Harryhausen. Is, is, it was clearly in our sort of our childhood, like, you know, everything from Jason and the Argonauts and, and uh, before um, the Sinbad films, which I love, and, and, and you know, we even talked about him on the show first of all. Um, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, but um, yeah, one of the things that's sort of big for this film is that the lighting phrase, as you sort of said, doesn't quite work with the, the monster. But I still buy it because I'm still mm. looking at the design and going like the way it unfurls, like it creates and then it comes through the, the gantry and it unfurls. Like yeah. The whole thing sort of comes up, and you get this sort of like the see the back of it. And you think, oh, is that the head of it? No, no, there's more coming, and then it sort of it's this big sort of scorpion thing with this sort of like the, the with a, a vertical mouth and all this other stuff. Like mm. even the design is really cool where I'm like, yeah, they've just sort of, they've gone for it with this. Like it's, as you said, they're swinging for the fences with some designs where I'm like, cool, just go for it. This is silly. And um, it has one of the things that I, I thought about actually with this as well, whilst watching it, especially with Jeffrey Jones performance and stuff was a bit, it, it, mm. This is better than Buckaroo Bonsai. Oh yeah, in in that sense. But it had that I had that feel to it where I'm like, this has got that Buckaroo Bonsai kind of feel, but sort like of over the top, like yeah, uh... yeah, especially towards the end, and you've got the over yeah. the, the space overlords and stuff. Where I'm like, but this does actually feel better than to me. This is a better film than than Buckaroo Bonsai, which you know I, I'm willing I, to I, I admit. Agree. Um, well, I mean, you know, the, I, the other, you're right. I mean, I'm willing to go along with that they are like the the overlord, the dark overlords. It feels kind of like Lovecraftian, mm. like you know, which I didn't know when I saw this in at nine. Um, I wouldn't have known that term. Um, now I see it, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, they're from 
they're the ancient gods from outer space. They're the ancient ones. Um, and then, you know, the, yeah, okay, so, you know, look, it's 1986. The stop motion is not the best. Mm. But you're right. The design work is cool. It looks like it's definitely sort of like Geiger influenced, you know, sort of post alien. Um, it uh, has some of the Ranger monster in it. Um, you know, and you're right, it unfurls. Now, I do have objections in terms of the plot at this point, um, you know, because they have this laser gun that has been designed by the military yet abandoned mm. at a tremendous R&D cost that they've never tested, right? <laughs> Which is like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, I'm willing to put up with that. Um, and then you have this this terrible cliche of... You know, an alien who needs to possess our bodies, yet somehow is stronger when freed of our bodies. Mm. So why bother possessing us in the first place or possess a human and then have him shoot himself? Because apparently you're stronger outside of our bodies. I mean, that is a trope that I, you know, logically I'm really bothered by. But I'm willing to say, I know what you mean by that. That's because that. That has come up, that and that, but that is also a trope that we've seen in MCU films. <laughs> we see it all the time where they're like, you know, um, oh yes, yeah. But look, it's more forgivable here in 1986 than it is in a fucking MCU film. When yeah. I see that in an MCU film, I'm just like, I'm walking out of this theater. Like I am that level pissed. Just like, oh, I'm just groaning, going like, maybe the data we want will save this this train wreck. In 1985, I can, you know, put up with that in a silly, you know, you were talking about one of the first comic book adaptations to a movie in history. Mm. You know, there aren't that many. Uh, I mean, there have been more in the last five years than there yeah. have been prior up to, to this, this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so this is an early comic book adaptation. And yes, it's got that flaw, but it, that's a lot easier to forgive in 1986. Well, what I would say is, I mean, again, this idea, and this is the thing that sort of, again, as we talk about it, I'm thinking about it, it's like the same, it's not the same trope, but it's a similar idea, it was used for Men in Black in 1995. Mm-hmm. Like you get the Edgar, the the, the, the big giant insect hides inside the, the, the Edgar sort of suit. And again, the, the, the massively underrated Vincent D'Onofrio sort of does that performance. Um and I like that, but they, they do it for a different reason. They give it an idea where he's always actually sort of like, he's looking for something. So he's trying to be incognito. So he's got to hide inside a suit. So there are ways of giving excuses for why you're right. Here's why we can't have this massively expensive special effects shot throughout the entire film. And we need to have a human stand in this one sort of doesn't quite, yeah, it doesn't quite pay off because they have this whole thing about, um, we need your human bodies to sort of to survive. And when he's actually questioned, he does say, oh, we're weaker. But also, we if I show you my real uh, real visage, I am disgusting and horrible because by your standards. But um, yeah, it could easily be, because he's looking for power. Like you say, he goes to the power station um, and everything. Like you, it could be quite simply like, I can't reveal myself until I am fully, you know, energized i'm fully yeah 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 yeah. i need more energy to be sort of to take you know to stable in my material form exactly yeah i mean but okay that makes sense but i mean i guess where does that mass come from maybe it comes from converting the energy from i mean even that nuclear power scene is so 
it's funny it works for me yeah. but it's rushed you know um yeah and then i find myself thinking like you know i mean there is that terrible shot of the the laser gun hitting his ray gun kind of like but but at that point like this movie has jumped the shark so mm-hmm. deliberately mm-hmm. like it's so far off the tracks and knows it that i'm willing to like even forgive the two rays hitting each other uh i mean that is a very high mark for julian to be able to get over it, yeah i think i would say because it, it it does i don't want to say degenerate but it is sort of degenerates into the action the the tropey sort of like action scene um and the sacrifice well, but, of, but you know but i think it, it it degenerates into kind of like a fun movie but yeah. that fun movie is working and you know for all the sort of like you know we haven't talked about like earth girls are easy and, mm. and movies like that and that sort of like comedy that was sort of like which has a similar tone right the kind of like mm. raunchy comedies from you know this era the early 90s um this one works much more than most of them i mean by the climax i mean i'm like yeah okay so the you know the blast hit each other and you know okay i mean i'm not even that bothered by that just because the movie's working i think because for me at this point i don't know whether it's sort of the way production i don't know what order they did production in but like it definitely feels like you say they hit a stride and they sort of get where where it's sort of tonally inconsistent for the thir- the first third it sort of gets it and yes there are moments in the where you sort of go okay, there's something in the script here that was clearly something slightly different originally or, or like, you know, they could have gone further. They sort of get it. I think you're right. By the finale and by the sort of like the, the you know, the middle of the film, this, this sort of the chase or the whatever, they're looking for that key, uh, code key or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it becomes a bit of a MacGuffin to sort of to generate some stuff. But like everything's going on feels fun. But the climax... Yeah, the climax kind of works because again, they're just sort of like, oh, yeah, this 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 film is silly, and we know exactly what mm-hmm. it is. And people, like you say, I, I think of this, you know, you you are right that there are other films that, that you know this sort of fits into a genre. And but it, some of the things I've heard sort of as criticisms of this film is sort of like, you know, is that it's too silly? Oh, it doesn't make sense. And da, 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 da. Um, but one of the criticisms I see is sort of like, oh, the ending's so silly. Is you know the end is ridiculous. I am sort of going back and going like, you, you, how can you say that? You know, like you say, even at this era, like it's um, when you have sort of films um, doing kind of this stuff all the time. Um, right. I mean, you know, uh, weird things again. I think of like Golden Child with Eddie Murphy, another film I kind of enjoy, but has a really ridiculous sort of like you know paranormal ending and and. You have those things like kicking about where I'm like, yeah, if how is it this film gets singled out for those things, but like others don't? Um, but you're right, it works for me because I think the tone works. It's sort of working on a sort of a silly level. Um, and I'm enjoying the effects. I'm, I'm enjoying sort of like the performances. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think this finale sort of is fun. It works. It's mm. silly, um, but it, 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 it works. So... And by this time, yeah, because I mean, because I'm loving the characters, I'm sort of all in by the end. I'm sort of happy for the ride. Well, and also, like, I mean, even the chase scene to get there, you know, works. Um, mm. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, I do sort of have the memory. It sticks in my memory as, like, a little bit silly of a climax. Uh, but 
you know, watching it, I don't really have any major objections. I mean, I'm certainly paying more attention. I'm not groaning and in pain the way mm. I am with a lot of comic book movie climaxes these days. Um, you know, which is saying something. I mean, frankly, I mean, it may not be the best climax ever, but I mean, like, are we not conditioned to just accept a shit ton of horrible climaxes with, you know, villains that, you know, their motivations totally change in the middle of the climax. I mean, you know, at least I understand what's going on. Um, you know, I mean, that's not the, where the bar should be set. But I guess I would say, yeah, I mean, it, it's fair to ding this movie on any of those points. But you don't get to ding this movie and not ding, you know, Man of Steel, I had, mm. you know, half of the Marvel movies. No, I agree. And that's, I think, the problem with this is people sort of see this and they have sort of like a um, a response to this as being sort of like, oh, Howard the Duck. But then I'm watching, I am watching this and going like, how is it this gets dinged more than those other films? Like, I think of, in particular, a lot like Ant-Man or... Um, guys, well, the Ant Man sequel is yeah, Ant Man the Wasp, worse, you know, exactly Ant Man the Wasp, or even oh Gar- Gar- Guardians Volume Two, like those other sequels, like you say, where they just degenerate into sort of like sci-fi, uh, not sci-fi, but sort of like CGI messes in many cases. I'm not to, not to ding them because we've talked about the special effects, but like it just degenerates into that. At least with this, like you know, um. Well, but but both of both of the Guardians finales do not make logical sense. Mm. Um, I mean, here you there are logical problems, right? Where mm-hmm. you get this gun from, you know. I mean, we're talking about you know why are you more powerful when you're not in a body? Um, you know why when you destroy the gun does you know do the uh, alien monsters magically get sucked back across time? You know yeah. across space. I mean, that's not without its problems for sure. But I mean, you know, I'm not watching a 20 minute sci-fi, you know, special effects escapade that is entirely dependent upon logical, you know, parameters that I don't buy and that are at odds with everything you've set up so far Mm -hmm. on a fundamental level. Um, You know, I'm not spending that time of my life watching this thinking, how the hell did this get made and how do they not realize X, Y, and Z? Um, I just don't feel that. No, I think one of the things, one of the things that's that's interesting to me is watching, comparing this to some of those other films is a lot of them try to set themselves up as, they're not serious, but taking themselves serious to an extent. Like they're going to justify an awful lot throughout the film. Like, you know, here's the rules of the mystery or here's the rules of the universe. And then you say, then they degenerate into this sort of silly climax where the, those rules often get right. sort of thrown out the window and it'll come down to Very good point. come down to magic or sort of like, you know, like a dance off. And I mean, Guardians is a great example of this where like, I'd say I actually really, I actually kind of like the first Guardians in particular, but I hate the ending. I really hate the ending because it's like, oh, it's degenerated down into a, a dance off and then he grabs the infinity stone and oh, the friendship holds everyone together. And I'm just like, Ugh, you haven't had any of this, like this, this other stuff in the film before. It sort of it feels it, it's just a you know, at least with this, it's telling you, like, oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff we're not going to explain. 
We're not really bothered by that. It's about having fun. <laughs> we know, we know that this film. We're trying to keep this film to less than two hours. Like we, you know, we've got certain things we're going to do. Like it knows that, it, and and but you know, the first parts of the film tell you that. So when these other things happen, I'm more willing to go with them and go. Yeah, that is silly, but also so was, you know. Dr. Jenner powering himself up by walking into a nuclear reactor and then coming out like, you know, it's sort of like, because I could come out and go like, like, you've just destroyed a nuclear power plant. Have you not just wiped out the power to half the country? Or you've just irradiated a whole bunch of people. Like, you know, how come the police aren't turning up en masse to that? Like, mm-hmm. there's loads of sort of like... They pot- certainly follow one plane. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Like- they're following that, like their lives depend on it. Yeah, they're, they're yeah they're going to follow that, but they're not following this massive truck that's just sort of left a power plant. Like there are massive plot problems in this. I agree that, mm-hmm. but because of the tone it's setting and because of the sort of like the things it's setting itself up to do, I'm happy to accept them and go with it. Where I'm less willing to do that with a film that's going to try and spend time explaining one thing but not the other. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, picking yeah. and choosing. And that's why I think I find that bothers me. And we've done this. Like we have picked apart other films where we've said, mm-hmm. oh, this bit's good, that bit's not. But then I'm going, yeah, but you're still trying to have this entire, you're trying to do this thing that you then sort of throw out because the climax has got to be a car chase or the climax has got to mm-hmm. be a big, um, you know, a big event. What you want is you want the 80s finale, but you want to have a 21st century right. film. And I right. feel that I feel this a lot. And, and also, you want to have like an Oscar-winning, like emotional, like you know, it's about my mother, man. Like yeah. you know, I never got to know, know her. Like you know, you want to have all that, all that heart and soul, and you know, like a serious fucking drama, but also have the '80s trashy finale. Yeah, and I, I feel that there's films in the '80s, sort of like you know, and I'll defend the '80s as a time period, but there are other films that do. Highlander is a good example of this, like. For me, like Highlander, I know Highlander's like technically not a great film. I think there were there were obviously yes. massive plot issues, but I love that film because it simply turns up and says, "Do you know what this film is?" It, I mean, it opens with wrestling. The film opens with like WWF wrestling, and then and, and a car park fight that that you know has some an obvious stuntman sort of like some of the editing is terrible, but with an awesome kick-ass Queen soundtrack. So you go. Mm. Oh, I know what this film is. I know exactly what this film is, and then it holds that line throughout. Where you go, like this film is this film is crazy and nonsense, but it's going to maintain that nonsense, um, and it's but it's going to it's going to keep that tone. I prefer that to doing other things. You know, trying to sort of be two things at once. It's funny because one of the biggest complaints about this movie is its tonal and consistency, and we've talked about that. Mm. Right, like is Howard a dirty old man? Oh, you know, or is he, you know, a, a good guy? But, but I do think that um, it it does keep more or less a tonal consistency that this is a weird movie. Mm. It is a weird slash silly movie, and right from the beginning, the first shots are of you know Duck World. Um, you know, you you have to already buy this totally absurd idea, right? The narration sells you on this absurdity. And, you know, I have objections to certain things. You know, you and I like some things more than others. But 
from the beginning, it is this sort of like absurd movie that sells you on having a little bit of heart and, you know, you know what it is. Mm. And even if it degenerates into that 80s climax, you know, it's never said um, this is a serious meditation. Like it's never cited quantum physics and gone like, you know, well, if you pay attention to quantum physics, you will know that any reality you can think of exists somewhere. No, actually, that's not what's being said. You know, you're being a little too pretentious about your doc human beings. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just a little too fucking serious. And you're just a little, you're not as smart as you think you are, motherfucker. Right. Um, whereas this is like, no, we know this is a silly movie. Yeah. And we want to turn in a good silly movie. But, yeah. This is one of those things, isn't it, where it's sort of like you say, when 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 you open with a film where the poster is Breeders of the Lost Ark, you're sort of like, oh okay, <laughs> I'm getting the level that this is going to meet me at. That's not a problem. Um, but yeah, I also think this, this comes down to this thing of of introducing, you know, science gobbledygook in a lot of places where what you realise is the and this is you know I don't intend to ding anybody in particular, but like often the case is the writer of the film is not as smart as they want the smartest mm. person in the film to be. Well, and I learned. I, I'm a Transformers fan, so I learned all my science from Michael Bay movies. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bay, Nobel Prize, uh, Peace Prize winner for mm. uh, for physics. Um, yeah, it, but that's the problem, isn't it? And that's the thing where they bring in. And I love the fact that we talked about in the last episode, for example, we talked about uh, Star Trek uh, Two: Wrath of Khan. Uh, mm-hmm. And in one of the things we sort of talked about is, is about how that tonally is consistent like it introduces themes it then under undermines sort of certain ideas and it ha- it owns itself it owns its thing but it maintains a consistency of, of saying you know but it sort of still has that 80s appeal there's still those sorts those sort of things in it but it also you know that it's more of a serious film it's good but it's going to be a bit more of an actiony sci-fi film so but it never has um as we sort of said, one of the, the great things about that film is Khan and, and Shatner and Khan and Kirk never have like, you never get like two aging men having a fist fight on the, on the sort of mm-hmm. the, the bridge of the enterprise. And we're very, we were very glad of that. We were like, no, this is two generals sort of like fight, you know, in this complex chess game that they're trying to have, that's how it should be. It knows mm-hmm. that. And it sticks the landing like, but, and the same with this film, and the same with what I would say is I'm not going to compare Howard the Duck to, to Wrath of Khan, but what I'm trying to say is it sort of gets it and goes like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Like we are going to have, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have a, a, a duck person <laughs> and we're going to have intergalactic sort of aliens and we've got this character and that could be like, we know this is going to be silly. We're going to have awful duck puns throughout. Mm. So you're either in for the ride or you're not. And I agree that tonally this is inconsistent, but I think the tone, I think the inconsistent tone of it is worse for the first third. And then it sort of yeah. settles and and gets on with it. And I think that's where I think, like, I agree. I think that's where the movie is more successful. Well, but I think that inconsistent tone is about level of maturity. It's mm. about, you know, like, is this a hard R or is this a BG? Uh, you know, it's, it's inconsistency in tone and, and, uh, Howard's character um it's not inconsistency in tone in and and again you know look the the you can do um you know dramedy I mean Shakespeare did everything mm. it's a dramedy to one degree or another 
that's not the issue. The issue is like, are we a hard-nosed science fiction thing? Or are we, I mean, if this were made today, the tendency would be like, oh no, we've got to make it a one-third, it's 2001, but with dogs. Mm. And then two-thirds of it is dumb action movie, you know? You can't put those things together in the same box. Um, you know, um, I think that there are total inconsistencies here, but they have to do with character. They have to do with um, level of, you know, rating mm-hmm. um, rather than the world that you're in. You're in an absurd world from the first shot to the last. And, you know, it's a little totally inconsistent that, that Howard would come on stage and start playing guitar, you know, which is very much a, you know, back to the future moment. Yeah. But, I, you know, hey, it's the 1980s, and if your hero doesn't play the electric guitar, he's just not a man. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I agree. I'll, I'll let you finish because I want to talk about that. We'll talk about that final set song actually in a moment. Well, I think that I just think that there's you know different types of tonal inconsistency. Mm. Um, go ahead. No, you're right, and I think that's what because I think that song at the end, sort of, you're right. It's sort of. I I have a um a love hate relationship with th- uh, songs for films that tell you the plot of the film because I don't know I kind of appreciate them and then I like some and I hate others and I don't know why but there was obviously this this thing of sort of the late eighties where like you got like the rap song by some some like like Run DMC <laughs> Run DMC did a song for Ghostbusters too like you know like there's mm-hmm. there's like you know weird film and you get it all the time where you get like the song that tells you the plot but like it's you know some of those batman sequels have that and they're yeah, so yeah. bad well nightmare on elm street 3 has it dog uh you know duck and did a song for that called dream warrior so i love that tie-in thing and that's why i kind of sort of find that this song is kind of meta but like i don't know this it's sort of is it too, is it a step too far but um the one thing I'd notice, and it's kind of interesting, that like I say when he comes on stage, it's obviously an accident. He gets lowered on and all this other stuff. He is dressed very similar to Marty McFly, mm-hmm. and then given a red. And I was like, "Are they making a? Is this some sort of like weird Easter egg in joke for Leah Thompson being Marty McFly's so. mum?" And I was like, "If that is the case, oh, that bit's awesome." <laughs> in that case, I'm like, "Cool." Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I do. I do have a sneaking suspicion that that was not there in the first draft. Yeah, um, but the, I suppose the song's fine. But I like the fact that, like you say, he's become a successful manager of them, and the band's sort of successful, and and it's sort of like, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the song? You you said you you liked it. Well, I mean, okay, so I know it's bad. Mm. Um, I <laughs> it's bad, but. You know, I do like that, you know, it kind of like wraps up the movie, you know, and I do like that, you know, look, I mean, Leah Thompson gets to sing, you know, Howard the Duck, you know, yeah, okay, he saved the world, but he shot an arrow straight through my heart. Yeah. And, you know, for nine-year-old Julian, it was like, hey, you know, if Howard's got a shot, I've got a shot. Um and now I'm approximately, you know, 93 years old and it hasn't worked out that way. But, you know, I still like the idea of, um, 
you know, her being on stage, being this, you know, powerful, confident woman, she's not, you know, I mean, I don't mean to be this guy and sound this way, but I mean, like, she's not a, you know, bitchy, disgruntled feminist character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that that character. You and I have defended that character in other situations, but I mean, she is confident, but she's this 80s, you know, version of that. She's fun. Uh, yeah, that's very supportive of him. Yeah. And singing a song about like how awesome her manager and I totally, totally believe her boyfriend. Yeah. Like, they have definitely had some some duck stacks at that point. Um, you know. Um and so I think it's this like really happy ending where she gets to thrive and he gets to be, you know, he doesn't want the spotlight. He gets to be the manager and, you know, smoke cigars and, you know, <laughs> Uh, be a little rowdy backstage and you know it just seems like a wonderful cup it does when it ends one of the things is it you, you know it, you're right I think the whole stage bit is kind of fun it has that sort of it has a positivity where it is it maintains that fun tone of a, as a happy ending and um it's interesting because he obviously gets on stage and they have the sort of the dance and he plays guitar and all sort of stuff and he gets to show but then when they leave the stage it, it sort of like it has Howard and um, it goes over the credits as well. Like it, the songs played over the credits, and that's kind of cool as well because they do a similar thing with like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and, and I like that kind of bit of it. But it ends with them going off off stage, and they have this sort of like thing, and she calls him Ducky and the thing, and it like they are about to lean in for a kiss, and then it cuts to black, <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, oh, they are never going to show you proper like they are they have they're never gonna thought you say grab that and really show it to us. I thought well maybe they're gonna show you like the last thing of the film. Never quite go for it. Um but yeah no it, well, it, you know it, they're boating. I mean it becomes it yeah. becomes a an X rated movie. This is very close to the porn parody, right? Like oh yeah like yeah it's not too far away uh, <laughs> at all. Um uh, one of the things I sort of know I looked into sort of the trivia of this because so this was obviously the executive producer. So Lucas uh, financed it and some other stuff. One of the things he was looking to do off the back of the profits of this was to fund more right. work into ILM and to fund sort of Skywalker Ranch. And this cost him money. And she's probably why he yeah. doesn't talk about it a great deal. I'd still like to know his feelings on it. But my thing, my, one of the weird things is like, you know, um, the 80s wasn't the franchise generating machine that we have today. But like there were very, mm-hmm. there were lots of films that did have sequels and and stuff like that, but they weren't as prolific as they probably are now. But I do wonder if before this became a flop, before this failed, like I you know if there was ever like oh we could definitely continue the adventures of Howard mm-hmm. and and Beverly and stuff. Um, I didn't ask that of a girl. Maybe I should have done, but I do wonder what a sequel of this would have been like. You know, sort of. Uh, going into the later 80s and the 90s well i think about that too and and you know just as a sort of final thought i um i watch this and i think how close this is to a uh script that you could remake very close Mm. um you know let's imagine a, a cg howard um you know a you know whether she's a musician or somebody a sort of confident woman you cast somebody to you know who has uh some combination of sort of sex appeal and and sweetness that leah thompson has 
um, you know, the the uh, Tim Robbins kind of like nerdy friend who's not a threat. There's no love triangle, right? I mean, that's pretty key, right? It doesn't play up the, you know, sex dynamics and, you know, make that uh, accentuated because there's a love triangle. Um, you know, you could really, and then you end with, you know, the monster from outer space and all of mm. that. I mean, you could really reshoot this and make it, you know, more Deadpool raunchy um, and, and really keep, you know, the bulk of the script intact. Mm. Um, and in fact, I would say I'd be suspicious if you deviated too much from the original. Um, you know, and I think you could do that and, you know, keep these dynamics, make it a little more raunchy. Um, you know, maybe fix some of these, you know, a few of these scenes, a few of these logical problems. Um, and, you know, I could imagine, um, uh, you know, what's his name? The James Gunn, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, who, who used How- Howard the Duck in, in the post credit scene just for a laugh of Guardians 1, um, which is my favorite part of Guardians 1. Um, but I can imagine James Gunn doing the most amazing Howard the Duck movie. Um, but I think even somebody with a, a lesser talent, frankly, could reshoot this movie with, you know, some significant edits. Mm. And it would be a totally solid, really fun Marvel movie that I would totally like. Yeah. No, and that I'm... boggles my mind because this, yeah. this is a movie people hate and it's from a long time ago. Yeah, and I, I, I 100% agree. I think like this is, I, even watching it, I don't think it's too far removed from what we talk about now when we talk about some of the, the Marvel fair or even or any of the comic book fair. I, yeah, I did, when I when I, I was going through the like IMDb and some of the things and I look at sort of the, the you know, these one star or two star reviews or whatever and people sort of like re-rail against this film, I'm like, what were you expecting? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, the, I don't understand the hate for this film like it's yeah it's got real it has got real problems but like you say it's it's got a fun and a charm to it that i think there are other films that are successful that just, they just don't have um and so it's it's, it's an odd one to, for me that i'm like i'm never entirely sure why this film flopped now there are other ips you know that try to sort of follow a similar vein i think the garbage pail kids got a film and that is mm. beyond horrendous uh that film is awful but i've still i still I've watched it several times because of how bad it is, but this film isn't like so bad. It's good. Like I just enjoy this film and I'd hold this up against like, there are other eighties films. That I think, you know, people go, Oh yeah, I've got real nostalgia for that film. And I'm going, right. You have nostalgia for that film, but not this. And I wonder if it's because it's neither fair, you know, it's neither feather nor foul. It's sort of, excuse the pun. <laughs> it's sort of, it, it, like you say, it never quite goes the full way to be in raunchy enough to be sort of like taboo enough becoming sort of a porkies or a, um, you know, that sort of thing. But it also isn't quite um, family friendly enough to be the sort of like, you know, that family friendly sort of classic sort of like, you know, of the eighties that we sort of know as well. I think I, I, again, it's coming up to Christmas as we record this. Like I think of like Batman returns in a similar vein sort of like they let Tim Burton go all out and the studios were like, what have you given us? Like, you know, this this insane penguin in this sort of like S&M uh, Catwoman where it's not like, you know, it's not, it's still not 
enough to be like an, an R-rated sort of like, you know, dark, dark film because it's still very silly and it's still got some great bits in it. But I love Batman Returns, but it's not a family-friendly film. Um, and we have this where these films are being revisited from the 80s and early 90s. Like Batman Returns is now being lauded as better than Batman. Like I hear people saying it. I actually may mm-hmm. even agree. Um, but people revisited like Halloween 3 and have said like, oh, it's completely misunder- misunderstood and it's it's actually a, you know, a great film and all this other thing. I honestly think Howard should be in that category. Mm-hmm. Howard the Duck should be in that category where people should revisit this. This is up there with like Flash Gordon with, you know, Ming. Oh, Ming. for sure. No in doubt. That, in that campy sort of yeah. silly thing where you go, cool, like go back and watch this in that vein and just enjoy it for what it is. And I think people will enjoy it a lot more. I, I just don't understand the hate for this film. It's bizarre. Um, no, I agree. I agree. And, you know, we talked about Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, I, and you know, I mean, Bakuru Banzai wants to work as much as this movie works for me, mm. and Bakuru Banzai wants, you know, and there are moments where it's like twenty-five degrees off working for me, mm. and I think it works more for you than for me, but you know, there are moments where this movie is five or ten degrees off or whatever. But I mean, you know, there are movies that are Bakuru Banzai is beloved. Yeah, you know. I mean, you know, it's, it's a cold following, you know, but it is beloved. And mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. And, and that's fine. Enjoy your your fiction. Enjoy your passion by all means. But I don't understand the hate for this by comparison, you know. No. And and I think some of it was the comic book was like, you know, we didn't have comic book movies. Here's what we got. And then it was a flop. Mm. Um and we like success. We like our Superman. We like our Batman. You know, uh, you know, we 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 don't like this kind of stuff. And also, comic books wanted to be taken seriously. So, you know, I wonder yeah, if that, that's talk. that's a really good point, actually. Uh, and I'll, I'll finish on this note because we will. Because when this came out as eighty six, at that time, you're getting the Dark Knight Returns. You've had Watchmen. Um, you're not far off Vertigo coming out with sort of like you know. Well, Swamp Thing's obviously been taken off with Alan Moore, so you've got Grant Morrison doing Animal Man. You're right, like you're entering into a period where people are trying to take comics, graphic novels serious. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wonder if they've gone, oh, this is the Steve Gerber thing from the seventies. Like this kicked off this adult sort of, you know, move into adult comics, and they get this. And they're like, yeah. Ugh, they rebelled against it because it wasn't representative of what they wanted their adult comics to be. Um, I wonder if that is a part and parcel of it. I think that's true. I mean, you know, having, having lived through it, um, you know, I mean, I wasn't aware of that dynamic as much when I saw it in the theaters at mm. night. But I mean, I was a year later. Um and I think, you know, people didn't want people to think about comics and to think about this. Mm. And that's not fair to Gerber. It's not fair to Howard the Duck. But they did not want this to be the face of Marvel Comics. Yeah. Or of comics generally. No, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to sort of sit, so that may be, you know, a big part of it. Anyway, we will leave that as, as a sort of a final thought because we're running sort of a little over. But there you go. I'm so glad we both, we're both like... You know, plus uh, Howard, you know, yeah. we've got to rehabilitate the uh, reputation of this movie. We're on the same page, and that's because, you know, you are so smart. 
<laughs> we are both <laughs> we're both very sort of intelligent individuals that love our silly silly films. Um, I, I do. I just think this film's got has got needs to be revisited with a different eye. Um, and it would not surprise me if someone like James Gunn was eventually came out and was like, "No, I love How the Duck," and that would reignite this new love of of the film uh, to a new generation. Um, anyway. There we go. That is Howard the Duck from 1986. Let us know what you think, though. Are we right? Are we wrong? Do you do you hate this film? Or are we going to kick off a revolution here, right here, right now? And people are going to reconsider this film. Let me know. Join us. Find us on, on uh, Twitter at Pod Time Space. Let us know what you think of Howard the Duck. Uh, but for now, this is obviously us. Um, we will be moving on. We've done our full half season we've done it this is this is the full sort of halfway point it's quite a long way so what we're going to do is for the next episode we're going to do a half season review uh julie and i are going to look back at the first sort of 12 films that we've done for this of the fourth uh, season yeah of the fourth season we're really going through we've got some amazing stuff on there like you know you've had our hundredth episode come out we've talked about stuff but we're going to be in a half season review we're going to talk about the first six films we did, and we're going to be giving our ratings and our thoughts in the next episode. So that'll be interesting to see where we sort of sit from a scoring point of view. Uh, and then we are going to be going forward. We're not stopping. We're not slowing down as we go into 2023. More Twilight Zone coming your way. More films. And we are sticking with the 80s. The next film we're going to do is uh, is The Running Man. So, um, you know, we're going sort of like uh, to the Arnie sort of category. <laughs> and I... And I I do enjoy. If you think the puns in this were bad, <laughs> wait till we get to the Running Man. <laughs> so we will talk about that at another time. But but for some reason, people love that and hate Howard the Duck. Yes, I think it's the I think it's the biceps. Uh, yeah. But we shall talk about that. And actually, the satire, the un, unrecognized satire of the Running Man as well. Um, but anyway, if you enjoy what we're doing, please leave a review on your podcast catcher, sort of five stars preferably, but uh, any feedback is always appreciated. And check out our Patreon, oh, where we have all kinds of things on there. We've got more uh, Twilight Zone. We're going through the third season of Twilight Zone. We've talked about some of the big episodes we've done. Um, it's, it's um, what's it? I was going to say, it's a wonderful life. You're not calling it, it's a wonderful life. Um, life is good. Um, and uh, some of the bigger episodes, those classic episodes. And we've got me doing 30 minute thoughts and we've got Creator Corner, and there's all kinds of backside behind the scenes stuff on there as well. So go check out Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash 20CG Media. There'll be a link down below. But for now, Julian, thank you very You're much. You're referencing It's a Good Life. It's a Good Life. Kid yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's the one. And it's still a good <laughs> life. We did the sequel as well. Um, oh, but for now, yeah, thank you. This has been a ducktastic episode. I'm really pleased with uh, uh, we're both on sort of on par. Uh, but Julian, thank you very much. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, we shall see you on the next episode. My bill gets so hard every time I think about Leah Thompson. <laughs>